0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Singing for Survival, the Capoeira History podcast for this final episode of 2020. Um, I really, really appreciate everyone who's been listening this year. It's been uh, a lot of fun on my end to get this started. I've learned a whole lot about all the different people that we've covered um, so far, and we have plenty of subjects left uh, to go over in 2021. So, again, thank you and stay tuned for more that's coming. But the subject of today's episode is Manuel Pereira, better known as Bizoru Maganga. Bizoru is one of, if not the most famous figure in Capoeira history, and for a lot of good reasons. Bizoru was so legendary in his fighting prowess that it was said both that he could shape shift to escape capture and that he was mystically immune to all physical harm. He lived in a time when Capoeira was heavily persecuted, and fought valiantly against that suppressive system to maintain his art and to protect his students. I've heard more Capoeira songs referencing Bizoru than any other Capoeira figure. And if you've been in Capoeira for any significant amount of time, you for sure have at least heard his name a few times. So, today, let's dig into the story of this legend, the music that relates to him, and what we can learn about the development of Capora in Bahia between the time of when uh, slavery was abolished and when Mestre Bimba opened up his first academy. And with that, we begin the story of Bizoru (laughs) Maganga.
1: A Deus, Besouro, valente cordão de ouro. A Deus, Besouro, A Deus, Besouro, A Deus, Besouro.
0: Enrique Pereira was born to João Matos Pereira and Maria Haifa sometime between 1895 and 1897. His birthplace was Santo Amaro in Bahia, which is located at the center of what we will call the Sugar Heconcavo. And I think it's important at this point, both to our story about Pizorro and our general discussion of the development of capoeira, to take a second and talk about the Heconcavo, as it'll help set the stage as we go further. The Sugar Heconcavo is a very important region, both to Brazil's development and to the history of Capoeira. If we look at a map of Brazil, we can see a large bay that cuts into the state of Bahia. This bay, from which Bahia gets its name, is called the Bay of All Saints, and right at the mouth of this bay is Salvador, regarded by many as the birthplace of modern capoeira. The region surrounding this bay is known as the Heconcavo, and was the main center of the sugar plantation culture, owing mainly to the very fertile soil in the area and the ease of transport from city to city by boat due to the many rivers and tributaries that ran into that bay. The Heconcavo is unique due to the mix of both urban and rural cultures which was brought on by trade and travel between the plantations and the capital city again facilitated by all of the rivers that um, that made boat travel very easy it's interesting i think that several very famous capoeira masteries of the early to mid 20th century came from this region including bizoru cobrino Vergi, valdemar and querido de deus in addition songs of the bay and sea are incredibly common in popular capoeira music these things taken together with the fact that both mestre bimba and mestre Pastinha had schools in salvador demonstrates the importance of this region to capoeira so taking in all of this information the obvious question becomes Why was Capoeira so successful here as opposed to other regions? Now, it's possible, I think, that this urban-rural connection played a role in the flourishing of Capoeira here, as it offered a kind of refuge to Capoeiristas who were persecuted in the cities. It's much easier to find, to control, to persecute Capoeiristas in the urban setting than it is in, in the more rural areas where things are more spread out, you have uh, less resources, and all of that. Uh, areas like Rio de Janeiro and Recife did not have this kind of connection, so it allowed Capoeira to be put down more effectively. Um, in addition, the ways that laws against Capoeira were carried out uh, were, were done very differently between places like Bahia and places like Recife and, and Rio, um, probably owing to the different cultures of the areas. Uh, it was much more strict in a place like Rio, which is why Capoeira was nearly eliminated in that area. In addition, there are several stories of people learning Capoeira in the cities, uh, like such as Salvador, and then taking it out to the outskirts of the Heconcavo where it was safer to practice, which kind of reinforces some of the ideas that we're, that we're bringing to the table here. So this is the area in which our story takes place. Um, this this area where there's a lot of travel between these, these different nearby cities, where we have a lot of interplay between the urban environment of some place like Salvador and the more rural outskirts, and where really the, the best of modern, modern capoeira is starting to be developed. It's where we have the, the most noteworthy capoeiristas coming out of. Manuel learned capoeira from Mestre Chiu Alipio in Santo Amaro. Not much is really known about his early life, as, as far as I could find, but through Mestre Alipio, Manuel became an extremely talented caporista, eventually earning the nickname Bizoru. He gained this nickname because of his fighting prowess and ability to escape death and capture even in the tightest circumstances. It was said that he used shape-shifting magic to change into a black beetle to fly away when in danger. Now there are stories of him traveling by night and saying that he could leap great heights and move so fast it appeared that he vanished, all which likely contributed to the legends around his name. Now there's several variations on this nickname, Bizoru uh, Pretu, Bizoru Kadaji but the most well known was Bizoru Maganga. Manganga derives from a Kimbundo term for doctor, Nganga and is also a term for a large woodnong beetle in the northeast of Brazil. Now, it's it's very common, both in Brazilian language and, and really across all the rest of uh, Southern and Central America, that um, there, there's a frequent use of doublespeak and euphemism uh, in in their sayings, and especially when you give people names. So it's very likely that this name was referring both to the Kimbondo term for doctor and to the, um, to the beetle in that northeast of Brazil. Now, Cordao Gioro, on the other hand, is an implication to his mastery of capoeira. And this particular nickname was most likely posthumous, since Cordao weren't used in Capoeira rankings until the latter half of the 20th century, really until either the 70s or 80s. So it would would make the most sense that that nickname originated in, say, the 70s or 80s, when Cordao were more popularly used. In addition to his great fighting prowess... Bizotra was said to have spiritual protections, referencing again back to the Manganga part of his name. First, he always carried a patois with him for protection. Patuas are commonly referenced in Kapura culture and music, and is essentially an amulet that's meant to protect the wearer from physical harm. In a similar vein, Bizotra was said to have been granted a closed body, something that we first talked about in the episode on Lampion. This is an enchantment related to candomblé that would keep him safe from attacks from any weapon. Really closely related to his, his use of a patois. Now, to, to kind of understand this, um, let I want to have a relatively brief aside on the relationship between capoeira and candomblé, especially in the development of the more modern form of capoeira we practice today. So first Capoeira and Candomblé are not the same thing. They are very, very distinct from each other. Um, and they do not have, for example, Capoeira does not have the same religious or spiritual weight that a practice like Candomblé has. But the two are inextricably tied to each other because of how they developed uh, in Brazil in, in kind of the time period we're talking about now. So... There are multiple important Kapweda masteries in this time and after this time, and probably before this time, that were also important members of their local Teheru. Now, Teheru is the, the place of worship um, of the people that follow Condomblé. And even just the word Teheru we see referenced in of pretty frequently. So, because of these these people that uh, that are both in Capoeira and Condomble a kind of interplay of those cultures is almost unavoidable so in Capoeira we see many references to the the different deities of Condomble called the Orishas um, we see also references to uh, to Catholic and Christian Saints like for example São Bentu or Saint Benedict that are hidden references to those candomblé deities, and we even see interplay of the music so it's very likely that the use of atabakis in capoeira was directly influenced by candomblé um, that drum was not used in capoeira f- from its start even when Mestri Bimbo was starting his academy um, he was really just using birimbaos and panderos it was a significantly later addition that the atabaki came in So all of this to say that Gondombley and Capoeira, while very distinct things, um, very distinct practices, uh, they are very closely related to each other in that in this period of the development of Capoeira, there's a lot of bleed over between the two cultures. And I think... uh, to really understand Condomble and what that practice means and, and what those references in Capoeira are is going to take another episode and something we'll do in the next year. But I just wanted to set that background, which I think is important for uh, really understanding all the aspects of the legend around Bizoro. So legends of Bisoru's fighting prowess and otherworldly abilities spread pretty quickly through Santo Amado. Quickly making him a very popular figure among the common people, and most importantly, in the under underground Capoeira community. Now, having set the stage, and before we really get into Bizoru's life and actions that uh, that are brought out in his legends, I want to take a quick break for the the music selection of this week. This is really hard to pick a single song on Bizoru because there's so many, um, but I have one for you that I really like. So let's have a listen.
2: O oh, quebrou pra São Caetano um caso que sucedeu Besouro de Manganga que trabalhou e não recebeu Não queria estar não na pele do patrão Vem ver o que Besouro faz com a cabeça, os pés e as mãos Cordão de ouro é Besouro Manganga de azar, teve a morte encomendada por um tal de Baltazar, foi por uma desavença, na usina que trabalhou, doutor Zeca mandou uma carta pra que se matasse o portador, cordão de ouro é besouro mangangá, cordão de ouro é besouro mangangá.
0: This song is written by Mestri Marquinho Coreba, part of Capoeira Gerais and one of the really great modern songwriters in Capoeira today. He's written several history-rich Capoeira songs that I highly, highly encourage you all to check out. Um, This is really my my favorite kind of historical Capoeira music that really explicitly and um, descriptively talks about historical events. Um, or historical ideas in Capoeira. Mm. There's a lot of Capoeira songs that, while they do talk about history, um, they talk about it in a kind of euphemistic way, uh, which is a very, like, Brazilian culture way to talk about it. Um, but it's nice to really get this, this rich, descriptive language about this historical figure and the, the, the events surrounding his life. So the first verse refers to one very famous story about Bizoru when he worked in a mill. Though slavery was abolished at this point and had been for multiple decades, the foreman there acted like he would have under slavery and often tried to trick the workers out of their pay. On one occasion, he did this to Bizoru. So Bizoru waited until that night, snuck into the foreman's bedroom and beat him senseless until he got his pay. The second verse talks about the story of Bezoru's death, uh, but let's not get too, too far ahead of ourselves here and get back to where we left off in the story of Bezoru's life. To further set the stage and really understand Bezoru's life and actions, we must remember the conditions in Bahia at this time. Slavery had only recently been abolished in 1888, and Capoeira was now explicitly illegal. In fact, bizoru lived during the era of police chief Pedro de Azevedo who controlled Salvador police between 1920 and 1926, and heavily, heavily persecuted Capoeira. He was known to order cavalry squadron attacks on Capoeira Jodas wherever found, and this is likely where we get the, the stories of, uh, of the police dragging Caporistas by horse from the Hada to the police station. Now this naturally caused a lot of antagonism between the caporistas and the police, and Bizarro was no exception. In fact, Bizarro's encounters with the police are a huge part of his legend, as he went to great lengths to humiliate them. He was known to attack police who arrested his friends, defeat entire patrols, and to steal police weapons to return later to the police station. In one story, Bizoru took a soldier hostage and forced him to drink cachaça until he was sick. The soldier went back to his barracks, told where Bizoru was, and ten soldiers went to get him dead or alive. Bezoto went outside and shouted that he would not give himself up, so they fired on him and he fell. When they went to confirm he was dead, he got up, kicked himself free, and made his escape. In another story, Bezoto was arrested after fighting off three officers that had stolen a beaten bow from him. Interestingly, we can actually find the police record of both this arrest and the short jail stay that he served after it, uh, which is dated September 8th, 1918. He was actually in the army at this time, and this incident caused him to be discharged for, quote, moral incapacity, according to the Office of the War Ministry. Many of these stories come from Mestri Cobrino Vergi, Visora's nephew, who learned Capoeira from Bizoru. I think it's important to note here that though Bizoru had many altercations with the police, he was not a criminal by profession like someone like Lumpiao. All of the arrest records we can find for Bizoru are directly related to Capoeira or his fights with the police. We don't see any for something like theft or burglary that would imply that he was a a what we call a career criminal. Though Bizotu never really had a stable career or a long-term employment at any particular place, he always had some job or other that he made his living with, um, as opposed to, you know, Alampian, who was a criminal by profession. And, and I think this contributed greatly to his public image, as well to how his legend is remembered as a fighter for justice. Like I mentioned a little bit earlier, Bizoru essentially worked several different odd jobs throughout his life. He also regularly traveled between Santo Amaro and Maracangalia, finding work. In one such trip to Maracangalia, Bizoru found work as a cattle herder on a ranch of a doctor's Zecca. While working on this ranch, Bizoru got in an argument with Zekka's son, Memeu. After this argument, Memeu swore that he would see Bizoru dead, and Dr. Zekka, knowing about the, the legends around Bizoru and fearing for his son's life, conspired to have the legendary Kaporista killed. Zekka told Bizoru to take a letter to the town administrator, Balthazar, who was also a good friend of his. Unknown to Bezoru, who couldn't read or write, the letter instructed Balthazar to kill the messenger who brought the note. After reading the note, Balthazar asked Bezoru to return the next morning so he could give him his reply letter. Bezoru spent the night with a local prostitute and returned the next morning to Balthazar. Coming into the town square, Bezoru was ambushed by 40 men who immediately fired on him, all missing. Amidst the firefight, one man, said to be Eusebio Jiquibaca, ran up to Bizoro and plunged an enchanted dagger into his stomach. Balthazar was warned in advance of Zeka's plans, so he could prepare this ambush. Knowing about Bizoro's fabled immortality, he had a dagger of tukum prepared, which is the only way to penetrate a closed body. This enchanted dagger would prove effective, and Bizoru succumbed to his wounds. Now, I was able to find a copy of Bizoru's obituary, as well as a copy of his death certificate, which both confirmed that his death was a result of stab wounds to his abdomen. The obituary also mentions that he was attacked by 25 men rather than the 40 written of elsewhere, but regardless of the exact number, we know that he was vastly outnumbered here. Most interesting to me, the obituary says that Bizotu didn't actually die immediately from his stab wounds. He actually survived for at least two days before eventually passing, and that his transport to a hospital was delayed, which contributed to his death. This may be further conspiracy by Balthazar to ensure Bizotu would die, and I think adds another layer of cruelty particularly because the way the newspaper wrote about him, it was clear even then he was a love figure in the common people's eyes. Now, when we talk about this story of Bezoda's death, there's there's an awful lot of details that almost seem excessive or irrelevant, or at least the first time that I, I read it, you know, I asked, why is this even here? This seems overly complicated. For example... Uh, what what was the point of making Bizaru deliver a letter when he was obviously warned ahead of time that this was going to happen? Um, why do these stories mention that Bizaru spent the night with a prostitute beforehand? Uh, thing, things like that, and I think the answer to that has to do with the 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 type of enchantment that was said to be protecting Bizaru. So kind of like we talked we talked a little bit about this uh, in the episode on Lampion but there's a lot of ritual involved with the the protections associated with Condomble like the closed body protection now it's possible that these details and the these these extra things that that seem on top of this conspiracy are uh, in fact counter rituals it may be part of a ritual that Pizarro delivers the note, uh, asking for his death. It's also likely a part of the ritual that spending a night with a prostitute was supposedly weakened his uh, his spiritual protections, which is something that um, that the the with Lampian were very paranoid about, um, which is why they were so hypermasculine to to preserve that kind of protection so I, I think that's important to remember when we look back at this story that these details though they may seem irrelevant are not necessarily irrelevant uh, when it comes to these kinds of spiritual protection so even though he died before he was 30 years old Bizoru still left behind a few disciples that we know of such as Master Sirijimangi Jimangi. Mestri Olivio Bispo dos Santos, and, most important to this story, Mestri Cobrinha Vergi, his nephew. Most of the stories I listed previously come directly from either interviews with or writings from Cobrinha Vergi. And I just wanted to share a few more things that Cobrinha had to say regarding his Mestri. Quote, Pizoru, my Mestri, Began to teach me capoeira when I was just four years old. Bizoru's father was named João, nicknamed João Grosso, and his mother was Maria Haifa. Maria Haifa was my aunt, so Bizoru was my cousin and was raised as my brother. My mother raised him. In those days, Bizoru taught his students hidden from the police because the police heavily persecuted capoeiristas. When the police showed up to attack, he would tell his students to flee and deal with the police alone. I was brought up in that environment. My true mastery was Bizoru, but I learned from many masteries in Santo Amaro quote." And one more, quote, "It was Bizoru himself, my mastery, who gave me my nickname Cobrian Vergi, because I was very quick. I was so fast that one day he put me in a room and threw knives at me to see if I could defend myself. I caught the knives twice. When Bizoru had a student student and he saw the student was ready, he would lock himself in a room with that student, taking one dagger and giving the other to the student, and say, let's have a knife fight with a towel tied around our belts so that we can't get away from each other. End quote. I really like these stories in particular because we see Bizoru in the context of a teacher and a master. Most of the popular stories and legends are of his fighting prowess, so it's nice to see this other side. If we if we really only pay attention to the stories of of Bizoru's heroic deeds, it's it's easy to almost see him as a a a fighter on his own with like his own vendetta against the police and his idea of justice but these stories reinforce that he was also a teacher and was even then a very very important figure in the the underground capoeira community i think it's it's important to to get a good picture of this side of him to get the the full idea of who bizoto was when he was alive So this brings us to the end of our story on the life and death of Bizoru Maganga. And I think going over this story really makes it clear why Bizoru continues to be such an important character in capoeira culture and music through today. Like many of the the historical legends before him, like Zumbi, like Lampion, he's he's seen as a, a warrior against the unjust system. In this case, it's particularly the unjust system that is persecuting Capoeira explicitly in this time period. In addition, he, he did this fighting with his legendary Capoeira abilities. Now, when we talk back about people like Zumbi, Zumbi was also a great warrior, someone who fought really valiantly against the oppressive force of both the Portuguese and the Dutch, but was not really explicitly a capoeirista. It's most likely that he was using fighting techniques that are, are more uh, closely tied to, to African fighting techniques. But Bizoru was explicitly a capoeirista and was persecuted specifically for being a capoeirista, which I think makes his story hit much closer home with people today. Not only that, but Bizoru also died very young and died specifically because of how much of a threat he was to that that unjust system of oppression. He was killed in a very, I mean, what we can see as underhanded way to stop the work that he was doing, and I think that that makes his his story much more uh, I think that gives a lot more energy to his story, especially when we try to remember him. I know several people within the capoeira community that that really are inspired in their own capoeira and their own in the own work that they do specifically because of bizoru. And I think that's, that's such a powerful legacy to have as a person who died, I mean, all the way back in the early 1900s. We're almost, we're almost 100 years later, and people are still taking such direct inspiration from this man. So in addition to the, the Capoeira songs that are about him, there's also been other popular media that relates to Bizotu. And I think the most, uh, the most important one or the most relevant is the movie that was released in 2009 um, called Bizoru, or in English it was called The Assailant. Um, this movie is all about the life and death of Bizoru, um, it was filmed in Bahia, and had the same choreographer as the Kill Bill movies. This is really one of the, the Capoeira movies that I think is really actually good. Um, It's definitely worth watching. Um, Its inclusion of the Orishas is really, really cool. Uh, There's a lot of of good Capoeira choreography, and it it does a really good job of telling the story. Um, That being said, if you don't speak Portuguese, please, please, please do not watch the dubbed version. Watch watch it in Portuguese with subtitles. Um, The decisions they made in the dubbed version... Like, um, like giving the Portuguese Southern accents and uh, translating some of the movement names in a really ham-fisted way is it's really, um, it's really uh, disengaging to me. So if you can find the Portuguese version with, with English subtitles, definitely watch that one. But another detail from that movie I just want to mention. Uh, in that movie, Masedichchu Alipio is killed. And that kind of sparks a lot of Bezoru's uh, antagonism against the police. And I, I haven't been able to find any other references of Chio Alipio being killed in this way outside of that movie. So if, if anyone has any information on that or can tell me more, please send me a message. Um, I just kind of want to resolve if that is something that's just uh, made up for narrative purposes in the movie or if it's something that actually happened. So, I hope you learned a little bit more about Bizoto than you already knew from this episode. Um, this is this is an episode I've been kind of waiting to do for a while. Um, Bizoto was such an important person in Kaputa history. It's something that I wanted to spend a lot of time with and and make sure I really understood before before putting this episode out. Um, but i I really enjoyed the the reading that I did for this, especially finding the the primary documents like the newspaper articles talking about his death the death certificate and even some of the police records it's really really cool to see the the actual written primary documents from that time that's kind of the the advantage of looking at figures like Bizoru like Madame Sata who were alive not too long ago so there's there's pictures and and documents that you can look back at um, to see that slice of history so this was really fun for me, uh, and I hope it was the same for you. But as always, if you have any questions about anything that we talked about today, if you have any other stories about Bezoru that I didn't include, or if um, or if you think that I got anything wrong here, um, please feel free to send me a message. Uh, I'll include my my email in the, the episode description. Um, I'm not... I'm not a I'm not the authority on this. you know this is something that has to be a community effort in order for us to really understand the history, so I'm always willing to make additions and corrections if um if I get anything wrong so please send me any messages with anything you have and and that brings to an end our our last episode of the year. so thank you again, everyone who's been listening. Um, everyone who has sent me messages throughout the year. It's been a really incredible time going through this, uh, this series al- already so far. Um, I've gotten a lot of good responses, and it's been, it's been really cool just to get questions from people a- and comments like all over the world. And that has led me to learn a whole lot more and to, to ask more questions that I hadn't even thought of asking up until this point. So, so really, really thank you, everyone. I have a lot planned for, for 2021. There's a lot more um, people I want to talk about. There's more just subjects I want to talk about. Um, so please stay tuned. Uh, share the podcast with your friends and your training partners so we can uh, learn as much as possible. So thank you again. Uh, I hope you've all had a great holiday season. Have a great Happy New Year. Uh, And this is Desconfiado signing out on 2020.